Well, what's up, Mission? How we doing? Good morning, good morning. My name is Mike Hickerson. I'm honored to be the lead pastor of Mission Church. So if you're hanging out online or in the lobby, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's packed in here today. Holy cow, that's, all, that's awesome. It's awesome. These are good problems to, to have. Um, man, we exist as a church to help people find and follow Jesus. That's what we go after together. Um, there are not a perfect person on this stage or in this room. Can we just actually, I love Devin leading us today. Will you help me just thank Devin for being here and hanging? Great job, dude. Thank you. So cool, so cool. Um, and I love what God is up to in and through the people that make up mission. Um, there literally is no perfect people here. So I don't know what your background is or what you're uh, expecting when you're walking into a church building or like, you know, where you're at with God or Jesus or Bible or Christians because some Christians are weird. Um, and if you don't know one, you are one. So that's all right. That's, uh, so, uh, and that's, there's a lot of hope for us, though, um, as imperfect people. We just, man, we just are trying to make it as easy as possible to be able to follow Jesus. You know, it's not always easy to follow Jesus, but it ain't complicated. And so we just want to make Jesus uh, the most important thing in our lives. We want to build our lives on him. That's where life is best lived. And we just know that God is who he says he is and will do everything that he promised to do. That's what we have confidence around here, that, that he sent his son Jesus into the mess, not because we're awesome, but because he is, and he wants to pay the price for us to be restored as much-loved sons and daughters of God. That's the hope that we have. You won't find a perfect person on the stage, and you for sure won't find a perfect person next to you. And so what I would love for you to do is like, hey, um, he's talking about you. Just tell the person next to you that, that, that they're not perfect. Just remind them of their imperfection. Uh, don't take great joy in that. Uh, just... Um, just remind them that they aren't perfect. They're going to remind you that you're not perfect. That's an all right thing. But what we'd want to say is now just appropriately, appropriately, just go like, hey, but there is hope for you. All right. Just let them know that there's hope as well. All right. Not just, all right. So there's no perfect people, but there's a perfect God who rescues and saves, right? A perfect God who sent his son Jesus in the mess so that we would have the right to be restored as much loved sons or daughters. Uh, uh, so that's what we have. That God is who he says he is and will do everything that he promised to do. And that means that that's where our hope is found. And anyone is welcome to this journey. You don't have to have it all together. God's not expecting you to have it all together. God specializes in helping restore and heal broken people because that's all he's got to work with, all right? Uh, like he's a professional at it. So you don't have to have it all figured out. And anyone is welcome to be on the journey of hope that, that God has for you. And that change is actually possible that we don't have to stay stuck in the same hurts or habits or hang-ups or patterns that have gotten us where we are. We don't just kind of throw our hands up and go like, well, it's just always going to be this way. And I'm just always going to be like stuck in this. And I'm just always, you know, it's just, I, there's no hope for me. No, because we have hope, change is possible. And like God has given us, literally, he's given us everything we need to live the life that he's called us to. He's given us his, his presence. He's given us his son, Jesus. He's given us the Holy Spirit that transforms us from the inside out. He's given us his word, the Bible. He's given us the gift of the church together, this imperfect group of people that were on mission with God together. Like God literally has given you everything you need, given me everything I need to live the life that he's called us to. And that's where our hope is found. This confident expectation that God is both willing and able to do everything that he promised to. And we're in this series, we're starting it today called Last Week on Earth, and it's, I've, it's like, literally, if you know what Easter is, it means that, like, Jesus raises from the dead. So it's not technically his last week on earth. I mean, he's still got some living, and he's still transforming lives today. But what we want to do as we're moving into Easter, we want to spend some time and, like, look and see, kind of follow Jesus as he kind of is moving towards the cross, and he knows what's coming, some of the, the impact that he had. So, like, the crowded street is what we're going to walk through today. It's kind of like Palm Sunday. This is not Palm Sunday. The Sunday before Easter is Palm Sunday, but we're going to kind of walk through the, what that looked like today. 
Then we're going to talk about a borrowed room and a lonely garden and a steep hill. And then we're going to talk about an empty tomb. And that's what we celebrate like crazy on Easter, the empty tomb. We're going to have baptisms on Easter. So get yourself ready. Get your hair all done right so we can get it wet. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. Like do not miss out on it. But when we're talking about today, like this idea of like the last week on earth and this, this crowded street, like this kind of entrance, kind of getting the whole week started, like the Passion Week or like the last week before Easter is kind of like a holy week is what you maybe have heard of it too. Like there's this crowded street that he walks in and it got me thinking of like, man, there's different streets that are pretty famous. So what I want you to do is I want you to turn to the people around you. You got like 10 seconds, all right? So if you're introverted, you'll be all right. It'll be like 10 seconds. Um, and I want you to come up with like, what are some of the famous streets that you can think of and see how you did compared to my Google list that I came up with? So talk to the people next to you. 10 seconds, think of some famous streets. Not Jer Jack Kerouac's on the road or Robert Frost, two roads to Virgin of Wood. Took one less travel. That's made last, all the difference. All right, got about five seconds. Three, two, one. All right, come back to me. Come back. A lot of coffee this morning. That's great. That's great. What do we got? Come, give them Sesame. Sesame Street. I, I didn't know that. that. That was said in the first service, and I was like, well done. That's, I didn't think of that one. But yes, Sesame Street. What else? Bourbon Street. Is that what you said? Yeah. Applebee's stole it. Great steak. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, Abbey Road. Broadway. Broadway. Seaward. What? Seaward. Seaward. That's just a full-on full Ventura boy right there. So what else is there besides Seaward and Pierpont? Avenue. Avenue, the Ave. What else we got? Give me some. Easy Street. What, what, what? Hollywood Boulevard. Wall Street. Rodeo, and that we're so bougie in California that we make rodeo rodeo. So that's what it is. Yeah, yes. What else? What's another one? Victoria. Victoria. All right. All right. One of the other ones that was said was Elm Street. So, so that'll give you nightmares for sure. All right. So here's, here's, what, here's the list that I found. The most famous streets in the world. So we've said a couple of them. Rodeo Drive. Found that one. Yep. Bourbon Street. We got that one. We got Wall Street. Um... We got the Las Vegas Strip, so you're like, oh, I should have thought of that one. Yeah, <laughs> Google is really helpful. Lombard Street, I don't know anybody done that. Like, done the, yeah, yeah, okay. Abbey Road, we had Abbey Road said. That's a famous one. La Rambla is in Spain. The Champs Elysees in Paris, or if you're really country, I grew up in Oklahoma, so it's like Champs Elysees, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> But the most famous road in all of the world is in old Jerusalem, old town Jerusalem. It's called the Via Della Rosa. It's this way, historically, it's the road that Jesus took. It's called like the way of suffering. It's the road that Jesus would have taken and carried his cross. You can still go do it today and see it today. All the way to the steep hill that led him down. The way of suffering in old school Jerusalem. So how do you get from like, the, like walking into Jerusalem and everybody is so excited that you're there to all of a sudden they're yelling crucify in one week. Let me set the stage for you a little bit. So like it's this holy week and what's going on in Jerusalem? It would have been like Passover week. And so like it is a huge, huge, huge party. So there's like 
multiple millions of, of Jewish people that are converging on Jerusalem. And I mean, you, don't, you may not know this, but church people, Jewish people back in the day, they like threw week-long, month-long parties and festivals. So you think you know how to party, but you don't know how to party like a Jewish person knows how to party when it's Passover week. They would throw a party for a week, and so two million people would converge on the city. And so they're so excited. It's always kind of crazy around Jerusalem, around Passover. But the Romans are kind of occupying. And so they're like all amped up and ready because it's like game on. And what Passover is celebrating is the time when God like freed his people from slavery. And so Roman is now enslaved or occupied them. And so they get a little wiggy, right? Like they're a little nervous about all these people coming in and they're expecting freedom and they're celebrating their freedom and maybe they don't want to be a Roman province anymore or under Roman rule anymore. So they kind of, Rome's ready to like squash any kind of rebellion. But then you got all these, these people that are coming in and they're, they're celebrating the fact that God frees them. And then on top of that, you also have Jesus at the height of his popularity I mean, people are starting to think of and hear about Jesus and this, like this legend and this, this story is growing at, could he be the one that we've been waiting for? Like this Messiah is what they would refer to it as, our, the rescuer, the one that's like going to come and make everything right. So you've got some of the Jewish leaders are anti-Jesus because he's messing with their power systems. And you got some people, like the common people that are like so excited because what if he is the Messiah that we've been waiting for? And then they're all coming together in Rome, and Rome is nervous because they, he thinks that, they think that they're going to set him free. So it's crazy in Jerusalem right now. They've got this, like this, polit- they, they want Jesus to be this political savior. They want the Messiah to be this political savior or this economic savior is what they want or this military leader or this stately king. They got all this expectation and pressure on Jesus, and it's like bubbling over. It's like two million people. And Jesus' reputation, like I said, has been growing because he's healed people along the way. He's cast out demons. He's walked on water. He's turned stones to bread. He's opened blind eyes. He's touched the untouchable. He's loved the unlovable, and he's restored hope to the hopeless. I mean, it is game on. What's cool is there's this one translation in Luke where it says, and this is kind of how I'd love to just start um, the journey today. It says in Luke 9, it says, Jesus, he set his face toward Jerusalem. Like resolutely. Like he's walking this road and he knows where this road ends. And he knows the price that needs to be paid at the end of this road. Not everyone understands the road that he's walking on yet. They don't, get it, they don't have it all figured out yet, but he knows exactly. So I love this kind of phrase that he sets his face resolutely towards Jerusalem. And when he sets his face resolutely towards Jerusalem, that means he also sets his face resolutely towards you and me. For you and for me. He's got the street that he's walking down. So he would have just done this massive healing. We know that from the, the, like the biography that John wrote about Jesus. And so he's walking from Jericho to Jerusalem. He's setting his face resolutely towards Jerusalem. And there would have been people all over the known Roman world that are converging into Jerusalem at this thing. I mean, it's going to be game on. This is basically like 2 million people in the city. This is Times Square when the ball drops on New Year's Eve meets Ventura Fairgrounds meets the 405 at 5. Like, that's what's going down. Like, that's, that's literally what's going down right now. And, Je- and, and like, Jesus is at the height of popularity, and he's walking in, and this is how it starts. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage 
on the Mount of Olives. And so if you're just kind of like the picture you could see now of like this is what it looks like now. If you're coming down this mountain and you're kind of coming into Jerusalem. And there's all this pressure that's on Jesus. And there's all this expectation that's on Jesus. You know, I'm, I've got to be careful how I say this because I want to enunciate it clearly um, so I don't get in trouble for my mom. But have you ever like should on other people? Let me enunciate that clearly. <laughs> Have you ever should on other people? I'm a pastor, so let me just make this like, sorry, so I can enunciate it. I promise that I won't should on you and you don't should on me. <laughs> my mom, was that clear enough for you? That I, but sometimes what we do is we should on each other. And a lot of times what we do is we should on God. You know what you should do? God, can we have a performance review of how you're leading my life? Because I think I would do a better job leading my life than you. You know what you should do, God? There's some areas of opportunity that I think you could grow in this year as you lead my life. Jesus' closest friends, walking in Jerusalem with them, had all kind of plans of what they th thought Jesus should do. The religious leaders had all kinds of plans of what they thought Jesus should do. The Romans had all kinds of plans of what they thought Jesus should or should not do. We've got to be real careful as this crowded street gets kicked off and we're moving into Holy Week that we don't find ourselves in a situation where we are shooting on God. We let him walk forward in his plan, and he's the boss of it. So what happens is they're walking into Jerusalem, and it goes on in verse 1. Jesus sent two of them on ahead, and he said, Go into the village over there, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied up there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, The Lord needs them. I've tried this in my life. Just to, like I walked in, just like I don't have that kind of power, though. Like, if I was like, hey, can you just go to the Jeep dealership, and can you just say, give, give me the black tricked out one, you know, and just be all blacked out, and just, if they ask you why you're taking it, just say, give me the keys, because Hickerson needs it. You, you ain't getting that, you're not getting that. I don't have that kind of power, but Jesus can say, yeah, no, I, the Lord needs them, and I am he. He is him. The Lord needs them, and we will immediately let you take them, and he will immediately let you take them. And this goes on, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, the people of Israel, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. This is an Old Testament prophet named Zechariah who has this prophecy. In fact, there's like 300, at least, there's more than 300, like Old Testament, which would be the, the front part of your Bible, Old Testament, like messianic prophecies, which basically means if Jesus is the Messiah, the one that everybody's waiting for, so a prophecy from the Old Testament would be a messianic prophecy about the one that's coming. There's over 300 that Jesus fulfills. It's crazy. His DNA, it passes. And so, in fact, if you have doubts or cynicism or skepticism, that's cool. God's a big boy God and can handle that. I would want him push, like, it's, it's, it's good. There's a guy named Lee Strobel who was like an investigative journalist, and he was like a just staunch atheist. And so he's like, all this stuff is stupid. I'm just going to prove it to be like a, a lie and fake. And he ends up becoming the biggest evangelist for it. So you can read his book, A Case for Christ. It's unbelievable. But it, like, it holds up. Jesus holds up. God holds up. The Bible holds up. Like you can be, it can be trusted. 
Now, we may have journey and cynicism, skepticism, and, and doubt. I understand all that. That's not anti, God's not anti any of that. He's for you. In fact, if we're honest with our doubt, it can be a catalyst to authentic faith. He's like, yeah, you can test me on this. Verse 6 says, the two disciples did as Jesus commanded, and they brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Matthew 28, 1, 8, 9 says, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road, and Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him, I mean, this is crazy. Can, the scene, I can't even fully describe it for you. It's chaos, because they're wondering, could this be the one? And you know all the Roman soldiers are around, and for sure the religious leaders are around, but there are so many people that think, like, maybe Jesus is him. Maybe it's the one that God said, and this is what they were shouting, Hosanna! To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. What they're screaming, Hosanna, is not like somebody's name. Or like, you know, like it's like they're saying what that really means in Hebrew is save us, we pray. Like you're walking in, it is chaos. Hosanna, rescue, save Are you the one? I need you. Hosanna. Like, I'll take a miracle. Hosanna. Like, who can rescue me? Hosanna. You are everything to me. Hosanna is what they're screaming. So how do you go, like, from, they're screaming Hosanna, and then at the end of the week, they're screaming crucify. And he knew it was at the end. Because he set his face resolutely towards Jerusalem and towards us. It's interesting, as he's walking in to Jerusalem, um, there's like Luke, the biography of Jesus' life that Luke wrote called Luke, um, has this one interesting detail. It's in Luke 19.41. It says, but as he came closer to Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead and he began to weep. There's two places that we know that Jesus cried. One was over the death of a friend, and he knew that he was going to bring his friend back to life, but he still cried at the pain and the, and the enemy of death that he wanted to conquer and how it broke people's hearts. And God cares about when you're in your deepest, darkest place, when you're in a spot where you don't know that there's any hope. Jesus is the kind of God that will despair with you, but also pulls you out of the, the mess that you're in. And then this is the second time that he cries when he comes into Jerusalem as his face is set towards Jerusalem and they're screaming, Hosanna, 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 Hosanna in the highest. And he knows what's getting ready to go down. And he knows that the price that he's getting ready to pay for all of these people to be able to be made right back to him. And he weeps for the people that are going to reject him and trying to bring them back. So there's some lessons, I think, for us. We're going to kind of pause the story of Holy Week right there because he's walking in on this crowded street and they're screaming Hosanna. So I think there's some lessons for us from the crowded street. First of all, I just got to be able to say what I'm learning is that God's plan is greater than mine. I want to tell him what to do with my life so much. I want to be in control of it. I want to give him the performance review. But what I really realize, my life works best when I realize that his plan is way better than mine. And that he is who he says he is and will do everything that he promised to do. So I can trust him with my life. I can trust him with my eternity. I can trust him with my joy. I can trust him with my pain. 
I can trust him with my fear. I can trust him with my anxiety. I can trust him with my failure. Can't trust me with any of that. But his plan is so much better than mine. And I learned that from the crowded street. Second lesson for me from the crowded street is that I got to live for an audience of one. Man, chasing applause. I don't mean that we don't cheer each other on and like want to, like, that's awesome. We want to encourage each other, exhort each other, cheer each other on towards obedience, like all that stuff. But when I and the inside of me live for vain applause, then I am not following who God created me to be. Like if Jesus would have like listened to everyone around him and what he should have done and what they wanted him to do, it does not end up in the place that God needed him to be. So he had to listen to the audience. He had to live for an audience of one. Chasing applause won't get you where you need to be. It has the potential to wreck you. In fact, John 12 says it this way. Many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. So I got to realize that his plan is better than mine and I got to realize that I'm like living for an audience of one. My lesson too, what's helpful for me when I read the account of Palm Sunday or the crowded street as we're talking through is like, I realize that he doesn't leave me many choices. Jesus doesn't. I, I either got to crown him or kill him. You can't ignore him. You can't get him off your head. You can't get him out of your mind. And he's not going away. He's just going to be chasing after us, not out of anger, but out of love for our whole life. So I know when, he's, when his face is resolutely set towards Jerusalem and resolutely set towards the cross and resolutely set towards me, that I either have to put the crown on his head or I have to send him to death because I can't have it either way. You can only pick one. So in my life, I have found that my life works best when I crown him as king of my life. Last thing, last lesson for me is this, that he is. He is I am, which means I am not. He is him. If he is I am, then I am not, and I'm okay okay with that. And so I think what is helpful today, and one of the things that we want to do today is like, as we're thinking through, okay, God, I need you to show up. I need, you know, I want to be on your plane. I want to live with the audience of one. I want to crown you king of my life. But God, I need you to show up in some places that are painful for me. Because like he is, just walk through a couple things. He is a refuge. He is redeemer. I can buy you back. Take your place. He is provider of everything that you would need. He is strength. He is rest, like that deep soul rest. He is hope. He is the way. He is the prince of peace. And he's the rock. And I don't know what necessarily you would need from all those 10 today, but he is. 
And if he is this, then I am, he is I am, and he's one of these and I am not, that's, all, that's a good place to be. So what we're going to do and what I want you to do here, I really actually want you to take some prayerful time in this moment. And I want you to start thinking, if I was picking, I have to pick one. There's pictures on these tables up here and in the lobby, too, as well. So here in a second, after I pray, the band's going to sing, and we're going to be able to come get what you need him to be today. The rock, rest, hope, the way, prince of peace, strength, refuge, provider, redeemer, comforter. All these things have this image, and then on the back they have a verse that is right, tied to right of who he is and who he says that he is. So you could put this in your phone, you could put it in your car, you could put it in by your mirror, wherever you need to be with a reminder, and whatever you need today, he is. And when he set his face resolutely towards Jerusalem on that crowded street, he also set his face resolutely towards you. So here's one rule. Just take one. Please. We have more services, so we need to make sure that the six can have some. So just take one. One. But I really want you to prayerfully think through which one, which one you need him to be today. Because he is for you. Why you pray with me? God, you are good, you are great, and you rescue and save. Thank you that you set your face towards Jerusalem. Thank you that for the joy set before you, you became obedient, even obedient to death. It's crazy, God, as we get to be part of, we're part of that joy that you saw on the other side of obedience. God, you're so good and so kind, and you move towards us at our worst, and you don't rub our noses in it, you lift our head out of it, and you remind us who we are because of you. So God, we got stuff going on in our hearts and minds and lives and souls, and so God, would you just reveal to us who, you need, who, who we need you to be in these next few moments as we worship together and as we get a reminder of just your faithfulness, and we pick one of these. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.